This is episode 507 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. You would have to have lived on a deserted island over the last two years to not know we are living in troubling times, very troubling times. So as believers in Christ and as his church, what are we to do about, and you can fill in the blank yourself, what am I to do about problems in my family or my work or in my community? What am I to do about our government, the apathy in the church, possible inflation, and the fear that I might lose my job? What do I do about the coronavirus? What do I do about the future? It really doesn't matter the specifics, but the question remains, what do I do when blank happens? And you fill in the specifics yourself. In this message, we're going to look at four biblical truths that will help us answer that all-important question. And I think you'll be surprised at the answer. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. I have been uh, accused, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, over the years, because it's when you say accused, it sounds like you're innocent of something. I'm pretty guilty of this, of um, you know, focusing a lot on current events and the negative situations that we live in and stuff of that nature. And it's true. And one of the reasons why I have done that is a motivation for us to do the things that we should be doing anyway. Every week when I come up here, I type out this list of things I want to share with you about just what's happened this week that fills biblical prophecy that moves us closer to that day, but I choose not to, because if we're not careful, we get focused on that rather than the truth of God's Word. But I do want to share just one thing with you today. Um, it's kind of um, um, and the idea regarding what could possibly be happening in the future. We've talked about the coronavirus. We've talked about the mandates that people are having and riots going on in other countries regarding the forced, you know, no shot, no, you can't buy or sell or stuff of that nature. The rise of digital currency, especially the, the digital currency in China. The, um, the inflation is taking place, the corruption in every area of our government, and I could go on and on. But in, uh, one that popped up that was kind of interesting this week was the fact that we have known for pretty much decades now that at some point in time there'll be a war with Israel and Iran. Uh, every time Iran gets closer to having a nuclear weapon, something happens. Do you remember, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago when they, uh, all of a sudden their nuclear reactors started going haywire because there was some sort of Susnik or whatever it was, virus that was inserted in their computer system. That was Israel. We find all of a sudden some of their nuclear scientists just disappear when they're on vacation. That is Israel. And there's a new um, prime minister of Israel right now. And this prime minister was to Benjamin Netanyahu what a secretary of state would be to our president. And I didn't know this until this week, but uh, again, there was political intrigue in getting this guy in in a coalition government because they were like anti-Trump, they were like anti-Netanyahu. But one thing I didn't realize about Bennett, who's their new uh, leader of Israel right now, is that he's far more hawkish than Netanyahu was. 
As a matter of fact, he disagreed with Netanyahu on many things because he said as Netanyahu got older, he got softer and he was more willing to negotiate and be a politician rather than take decisive actions against Israel's enemies. I, our media always portrayed Netanyahu as being that kind of guy, but within Israel, if you'll read the Jerusalem Post and other periodicals that come out, it's a different story. And so uh, some statements were made this week which should get everybody's uh, attention. I'm just going to read this to you instead of trying to explain it to you. It says, the clock has been ticking for a long time, and now Israel is telling us that Iran is, quote, only around 10 weeks away from acquiring weapon-grade material necessary for a nuclear weapon. Uh, the person who made this statement would be equivalent to our Secretary of Defense. The Israelis have always been very clear about the fact that they will never ever allow the Iranians to get to that point. And so it would appear that leaves only 10 weeks remaining to avert a major war in the Middle East. We're certainly hoping that doesn't happen, but it was kind of a um, uh, chilling thing. Most Americans, of course, don't pay attention to foreign policy because we're too tied up on what's going on in Washington and the infrastructure package and, and all this kind of stuff. But nevertheless, um, this is what is happening. On Thursday, Israel Defense Minister Bani Gatz was asked a direct question about this, and he responded by saying, quote, Israel is ready to attack Iran. Uh, then he told him again on Ynet on Thursday. He said, we're at the point where we need to take military action against Iran. The world needs to take action against Iran now. Uh, Iran has violated all the guidelines set up by the GCPOA and is only around 10 weeks away from acquiring weapon-grade material necessary for a nuclear weapon. Quote, now is the time for deeds, words are not enough. It is time for diplomatic, economic, and even military deeds, otherwise the attacks will continue. Every time you turn on the news, every time you look at situations going on in our world, it seems like God is bringing all these chess pieces together to bring our nation and bring our world to a point where soon his son will return. Um, if you've been, again, Looking at what goes on in other countries, we're, in our country, we're having an incredible once-in-a-hundred-year drought out west. And if you will look at what the um, Department of Agriculture says about the quality of the wheat and corn and stuff of that nature, the slaughtering of animals, it appears that uh, they haven't had this kind of um, bad situation food-wise in California and, and out in the breadbasket in over 100 years since the Dust Bowl of the... Uh, of the early 20s, and amazing, did you know it snowed in Brazil and Argentina? Hasn't happened in 75 years. And again, what it did is it's killed a lot of the grain crops and the corn. I mean, it's almost like everything is kind of moving in this direction that uh, Jesus is causing this rumbling in our nation because he's soon ready to come back and take control of it again. We should not be surprised by any of this, but what we should be is spiritually ready to meet our Lord. Which brings us to the point of practical preaching. Uh, when you go to seminary, they teach you how to uh, allegedly study God's word and how to craft a sermon. The old adage was, you know, three points in a poem, and if you have a weak point, say it loud, 
Remember all that stuff? You know, so, uh, you know, but what's the content of the message? And if you will survey much of what's being preached in America, it all has to do with our own felt needs, how we feel and what's going on with us and how God's going to take care of us. The most popular preachers out right now preach a health and wealth gospel or your best life now. And, and it just doesn't really work that way. The preaching of Spurgeon, the preaching of Finney, the preaching of... Uh, uh, you know, the great reformers of old were preaching about sin and need for repentance and change lives. And, and that's pretty much what we need right now. So the question is, and I'm not harping on this, I'm going to stop right now. But the question is, what are we to do when we see and you fill in the blank? Doesn't have to be worldwide. Doesn't have to be a national catastrophe. Doesn't have to be inflation or the coronavirus. It could be something as simple as um, a severed relationship. I'm going through a divorce. I've got wayward children. I went to the doctor and got a bad report. What am I supposed to do? What's my position? How do I respond when my worst nightmare materializes in front of me? Doesn't have to be into the world of the coming of Jesus. I mean, it can be something very simple as being downsized at 63 years old in your job and finding yourself unemployed. Or another company coming in from Japan and buying out your company and confiscating your 401 account. And then the retirement that you were relying on is now gone. There's a million different things that face us every single day. And the one that you're most afraid of what do we do next? God, what do we do when bad things happen or, or uncertain things happen? Or we have a choice between trusting him in faith or trying to manipulate it in, in our own way. And trusting him in faith seems foreign to me. So I'm working really hard just to try to change it here. What happens when I realize I'm not experiencing the higher Christian life? My faith is not prepared for anything other than ease right now, yet I'm assaulted with something that demands a higher Christian life, and I'm coming up empty. What in the world do I do? Which is the message I want to share with you today. And let me go ahead and give you the summary answer. It's really simple. Same thing you should be doing if times were good. If the sun's out and things are wonderful and you're just living in the blessedness of your relationship with the Lord, what you should be doing then is the exact same thing we should be doing now. The problem is when we're well-fed and everything is going great, we have a tendency of forgetting about God and our relationship suffers. And then all of a sudden when a bad thing happens and, oh, I need God, we find that he's gone off this way and we're heading that way and we have to struggle to get back to him. Whether, whether we live in, you know, a, a country that sounds terrible for these younger people, whether we live in the 50s, you know, where things were a whole lot better in America than they are right now, the, the reality is our job and our commitment to Christ is the same then as it is now. It was just easier then. I was um, reading two things today. I saw one on Facebook, and it was a meme, and then I read an article today that I thought was kind of amazing, and the meme said something like, you know, with the world being as bad as it is right now, I'm afraid to bring children into this world. You ever thought that? 
I've heard people say that. And the answer was, well, the reason why you bring children into the world is because God wants you to raise giant dragon slayers when there's dragons in the land. If God didn't want you to, if there were no dragons in the land, there would be no need for dragon slayers. True? Read another article that talked about the demise of our country and that the American experience is almost over. Okay, historically, probably. And so that's not to get everybody all upset. It simply means we need to raise a generation of kids that will live in a land that's not like ours. The mandates from Christ stay the same. The, the calling of Christ on our life stays the same, whether it's in Nazi Germany or whether it's in Pol Pot's Vietnam or whether it's in communist China or whether it's in the 1950s in the United States of America. It doesn't matter. What are we to do when things look bad or even look good? How do we respond to the situations we're facing? What do we do now? So I'm going to share with you four truths. If you will get a handle on these, it will encourage you in the times that are coming. These are unchanging truths from God's word. Number one, it's really simple. We need to recognize the times in which we live and don't be surprised. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. They stole an election from Trump and, and they're, they're trying to push through all this stuff through reconciliation in Washington and the FBI is corrupt and the CIA is corrupt and the court system's corrupt and they're gonna stack the Supreme Court and terrible things are happening and you can't trust the media or anybody. I got that, I got that. But why should that surprise us? I mean, that's just the way Jesus said it was gonna happen. Christ warned us that things were going to get bad. As a matter of fact, um, if you read Matthew chapter 24, he will tell you that the sign of the end times primarily is deception. Do not be deceived. And he goes on three verses later, they will come out and deceive many. By verse 24, it talks about the fact that if it were even possible, even the elect would be deceived. And then you get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it lays out for us exactly what the times we're living in are like. Now, if you're like me, here's what you do when you get to a passage like this. We're going to read it in our Bible study time, and here's how we read it. But know this, that in the last day, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiveness, and we just rattle through those things like they mean nothing. Because, I mean, it's all these words here, and it's overkill, and I got that. They're unforgiving, and slanderers, and brutal, and traitors, and headstrong, and haughty, and just bang, 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 all these words, until we get to the end, and then there's a cohesive phrase we can get our mind around, having a form of godliness benign its power, and from such people turn away. Well, what people are those? Just bad people. I mean, proud and blasphemers and all these kind of unholy and unforgiving and unloving and uncaring and un, 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 un. And we just kind of spin through those things. It works the same way when we basically look at the positive things that we're going to do. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience. We just blow through those and we miss what he's telling us here. There's a situation that's going to take place at the end time. 
And the Lord is saying, you need to be warned about this. When you see this, when you see this, the deception going out there, when you see wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and uh, all over, and, and when you see that it takes a, a day's wages to, to maybe end up buying a loaf of bread, and when you see the political injuries, when the, the love of many grows cold, when you see members of someone's family turn against each other, when you begin to see all these things coming like birth pains on a woman, then you realize that the time is right at the door. It works exactly the same way here, exactly how things are going to be. Now watch this. This is, this is such a picture of our culture today. But no, that's the word gnosko. You need to know by experience. Experience this yourself. And, and we have a know what? That when in the last days, not in the days leading up to the last days, not in the days of great opulence and when Jesus isn't coming for another thousand years, but in the last days, the word is perilous times will come. Perilous. When I think of the word perilous in the English, I think about, oh, we're sitting at home and the doors are closed and the drapes are, are pulled and it's really bad out there. and It's, it's kind of scary. It's perilous. Well, what it means is troublesome, grievous, difficult to deal with. It means violent. It means fierce. It means hard to bear. Perilous, violent, troubling times with fierce people doing things that they're unconstrained to do. Perilous times will come. I don't know what that means, Lord. Um, can you take that word and just make it really simple for me and break it down and explain to me in minute detail exactly what perilous means? Well, sure. For men will be lovers of themselves. Number one, lovers of themselves. Oh my gosh. It's like social media has pushed this to a mental disease right now. You know, how many friends do you have? How many likes do you have? How many influencers do you know? Who's following you and who's not following you? And the stuff we post on, uh, the stuff we post on Facebook is embarrassing. For every year I got off of it about, I don't know, a month ago, I decided to get back on and see what has happened. It is worse. It is worse. It's like everybody's got this narcissistic need to have somebody notice them, like me, love me, say I'm pretty. Let me show you what I'm eating for dinner. Let me show you what I think's going on over here. Look, I'm sitting here at the store buying this and buying this and all that kind. Why? Why? Why, why do we have this innate desire for people to look at us and follow us and listen to what I have to say? Hey, I did a video and I made a comment. I think it went viral. What does that mean? Viral is like a disease, isn't it? No, no, that's not what I mean. Everybody's, everybody's looking at it right now, and, and I'm popular. I'm something. Oh, I've got to have another thing to, that'll catch on, and people have to keep calling my name and looking at who I am, and why? Because we're narcissistic. As a matter of fact, 20 years ago, nobody even used that word anymore, but it seems like it's a prevailing mental disorder that's going on right now, narcissism, where my life surrounds me and only me. I, I have my grandkids over um, watching television. And when I was growing up, do you know what we used to watch on television? Shows. Had a beginning, a middle, 
and it end with some message that's being communicated. Or a movie, which people take some forethought in trying to put together a movie. And then my grandkids come over and what they want to watch is somebody else like being stupid, putting makeup on or acting dumb or eating strange things. And they watch it for hours. Watch it for hours? Look at this, he loves it. Watches it for hours. I want to be just like that person. That person makes $10 million a year. And so I'm going to get on the video and I'm going to act stupid and hope people will like me because it's narcissistic. Are, are the worst is I'm going to play video games and I'm going to film myself playing video games and I'm going to make funny little profane comments while I'm playing video games and millions of people will watch me playing video games. I'm sorry, is there something wrong with that? Unbelievable waste of time. That's okay. It'll all be about us. It'll be narcissistic, my needs, my wants, everything. And as a matter of fact, if, if I'm not a lover, if, since I'm a lover of myself, then I'm also going to be a lover of money. I mean, I'm going to love it more than anything. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to, not going to bless somebody else. I'm not going to give. It's all about me. It's all about money. I'm going to sacrifice my family. I'm going to just hold on to my cash. I'm, I'm going to buy and buy and buy because it's all about me. And my self-worth is tied up as what I own and how much I earn. My conversations are all about money because it's that narcissism in our society beginning overflowing and expanding. And then I'm, since I'm a narcissist, and the money's all about me. Let me tell you about me. Let me be a boaster. Let me self-exalt myself. I don't really care what you have to say. I don't want to hear about your life. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you what's going on with me. And then when I say that enough, I become proud and arrogant, so much so that I don't even need to hang around God anymore. I'm bigger than God. I'm better than God. I'm stronger than God. Wow. Exactly where we live today in America. In God we trust on our currency. And it's not as if we fell into this. This was by design. Every Disney movie that we ever grew up with teaches kids to be disobedient to parents. Do you know why? His parents are stupid. And the kids have all the answer. The father doesn't want the girl to have the relationship with the, the guy over here because he's not the kind of person he wants for his daughter. And so, but the daughter decides she's going to obey, disobey what the father says and go out and have this wonderful adventure with this guy. And then they're going to come back and say, mom, I followed my own heart and you were wrong. And the parents are going to say, yes, you're right. It was a great thing. We're just bumbling fools. We legalize disobedience to parents. You have to have your parents' permission to have, at least you used to, I don't know if you do anymore, to have a um, uh, pierced ear or a tattoo, because you'll get sued if you don't, but a kid can decide that they want to take drugs that will change their hormones to shift over from a male to a woman, and a parent can't say anything about that. I heard, I don't know if this is true, I haven't actually looked at the legislation, but I heard that in North Carolina, that a 14-year-old, even if their parents say no, can take the coronavirus shot because they want to, and a parent can't say anything about that. How is that even possible? Well, because it's part of the times in which we live. We have to to make kids disobedient to parents because there's no longer any social mores on any of that. And then we raise children that are unthankful, who are unholy in everything that they do, who are unloving, are unforgiving, 
because there's no moral standard in them. And this is our society right now. We'll slander someone, we'll defame someone, even from a political situation like what they did to Brent Kavanaugh in the, in the Supreme Court hearings. Do you remember that? That was horrific. And it was okay. It's just what's necessary. It's just what we do. We slander people. And if we don't get what we want, we, we almost get insane. We almost throw off all restraint because we were totally without self-control. Which means unrestrained by convention or morality. Because there's no standard here. They can, they can do what they want. I remember seeing at um, Donald Trump's inauguration, if you remember in Washington, that they had pictures and videos of these people that didn't want Trump to win, they couldn't believe that he actually won, that were sitting down just beside themselves screaming. Ah, do you remember all that? That's okay. Unrestrained. No self-control. And they're brutal. Brutal. They'll burn down cities, and they don't care. They'll assault people, and they don't care. They'll push their agenda and they don't care. Their character, they're savage and wild and menacing and fierce. Soon, soon, it's already beginning, soon the church will realize how brutal this world is. Because they're brutal, they're a despiser of everything that's good. That's characterized by a hatred or an absence of love for all things good, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for for righteous people, for you and I. And because of that, they will violate and become traitors to every one of their vows, every allegiance or every trust that they make, even the trust of marriage. But you can't tell them anything because they're headstrong. I know it. I know everything. I'm unteachable. It's just who I am. They become haughty, inflated with pride and lovers of pleasure hedonistic rather than lovers of God. And he sums it all up with this, having a form. The word means an impression, a shape, an appearance of godliness, but they deny godliness's power. Listen carefully. They have a form of godliness, but they deny it. They refuse to recognize or acknowledge any power with living a Christ-like godly life or the person, God himself, who allows us to do that. God will not change my life. God will not. Man, I've had a conversation this week with somebody, had the same question, you know, uh, dabbling around Christianity, but not really interested in it because he doesn't see any power. Denies God can bring him the happiness that they think they're getting in the world right now. And what is our response as the church when we see things like this happen? From such people, deliberately avoid. But we don't. They're our best friends. They're the people we watch television shows. We hang around them on Facebook and at work, and we want the affirmation from them. So we dim our light a little bit. Don't put it on a table to shine to the whole world because it's better for us. We don't want persecution. We don't want suffering. We just want to continue doing what we're doing. Jesus tells us these things are going to happen. By the way, when we went through these five verses, is that not a classic picture of our culture right now? And it's only getting worse. And this only happens in the last days. I won't take the time for you to look at it, 
But you may want to look at Matthew 24, 4 through 14. We've looked at it before, which talks about deception. Religious deception is one of the signs that Jesus said will permeate the end times. Okay, number one, I'm to recognize the times in which we live and not be surprised. I mean, I shouldn't be afraid. I have God Almighty living within me. Christ warned me about these times. So what do I need to do? You need to make sure you're saved. You need to make sure you have a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I can virtually guarantee by the size of this congregation in here that there are people in here that don't. You've come for years and you don't. You have a form, an impression of godliness. You act kind of saved when you have to and you act like you act at home or wherever. You have a, a form of godliness but you deny by your actions and your words and especially your devotion and commitment to him that there's any power that comes from following Christ. If, if we didn't deny the power, then we would be striving for the higher Christian life. And I know some of you are. I'm not talking to you. But many of us are totally content with just being where we are I don't have any desire for anything deeper in Christ. Why? Because this world, I'm too busy with my business. I'm too busy making money. I'm too busy raising kids. I'm too busy making a name for myself. I'm too busy being narcissistic online or having followers or, or letting everybody know how cool I am. I'm too busy getting my self-worth from the world out there rather than from Christ. You need to make sure you're truly saved, not just religious, but saved. One of the scariest passages in Scripture is when Jesus tells the story about the people that come to him and say, look at all the religious things we did. Well, what did you do? Well, we fed the poor and we did this, went to prisons and took care of these people. And, and you know, do you remember that? And the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Why, why, why? How did you not know me? Because I didn't do those things through him. A lot of times we do those things or watch other people do those things which is religion and not true Christianity. You need to make sure you're saved. I mean, that's something only you can determine. I realized, and I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, that I have not emphasized that enough. And I've made assumptions that if you're here, you're saved. And those assumptions are not always true. Number three. You need to focus on the reality of our true citizenship which is in heaven and not on earth. Our self-worth is not found on earth. Everything that we have is going to be given away. It's going to be left for somebody else. We don't take any of it with us except those things we send ahead, such as those people that, that uh, we've been able to lead to the Lord or the treasures Jesus Christ talks about that we have in heaven. That's not gold or silver or, prop or, or property or stuff of that nature. Those are spiritual things. Bottom line is, the world is not our home. Now listen very carefully. Until you come to grips with the fact that this world is not our home, you will never quote that incredible ancient theologian who said, there is no place like home. Do you remember? Unless home is important to you, then you'll never say there is no place like home. Never. And I want to I show you 
what it means to have your life centered in God's kingdom, which is the whole point of the higher Christian life, versus this kingdom. So I want you to turn to Colossians 3, and uh, let's go through this together. First four verses. I'll just read it, and then we'll look at it. It's as if then you were raised with Christ. Seek these things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. How do I do that? Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your, our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Okay, I've read that so many times. But what does it mean? Well, let's take it a little slower here. If then, or since, if you're saved, you were raised with Christ, buried raised, old man, new man, stuff I shared a little bit of last week on the higher Christian life stuff that I sent to you. If then you were raised with Christ, then how should I act? I should act like I belong to Christ, like I'm in Christ, like I'm seated with Christ, like I really believe what I claim to believe. Then I should seek those things which are above. But I spend all my time seeking things down here that are all going to pass away, that really aren't going to matter, that have no lasting value. If I, was, if I was not raised with Christ, then this world would be my home. I saw, I was telling Karen about it this morning on Fox News. They talked about Jennifer Aniston. I think she's 50-something years old, and she was talking about how she's lost friends and had to remove people from her life because they refused to get the coronavirus or something of that nature. It's just not worth it for her. And, and I got that. But you know what? If I was lost and I had her amount of money and fame and popularity and this world is all there was and every single year I got older to the point that my beauty fades and my wealth gets dissipated and my body collapses, oh yeah, I would want to do everything I can to live my best life now because that is the only life that I have. But you're different. And I'm different. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to exalt his name. We're not here to, to manufacture wealth that we can spend the way we want. Everything that we have belongs to him, and he allows us to use 90% of it ourselves. If I was raised with Christ, then my desire, my passion be to seek the things where, where are above. Because after all, that's where Christ is. That's where I should be sitting at the right hand of God. And the only way I can do that is change the way I think, to set my mind on things above, the eternal perspective in everything, and not on the things of earth. Most of those things are crass. You'd be embarrassed if Billy Graham watched what we watched on television and talked the way we talked to other people. And we'd be shocked if James Dobson was in our living room watching us discipline our kids or talk to our wives or husbands that way. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of earth. Why? Because you died. As a believer in Christ, you are dead to the world and to the things of the world and to the fleeting fame that makes us feel good because we're not close enough to God to get ourselves worse from him. And our life is hidden in with Christ Jesus. It's hidden in him. So that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
there's a phrase that we miss there, and that is this. And when Christ, who is our hobby, who's something that we do, who's our genie in a bottle, who's the commitment I made when I was a kid, but it's just too hard to be a Christian today, who's the kill joy of the stuff that I want to do. No. When Christ, who is our life, appears, and that appearing is getting closer every day, then we will appear with him in glory. Is Christ your life? And if he's not, then your life's not hidden with him and you're not gonna have your affections on him. You're gonna spend your life, literally waste your life doing things here rather than what he's called us to do that brings spiritual crowns and spiritual blessings and brings treasures in heaven. If you wanna know how to live that, read the rest of this chapter. Matter of fact, I am, I am gonna read just verse five through 17. I'll go through it rather quickly. Therefore, based on the verses that we just looked at, therefore, put to death the members which are on the earth, the things that pertain to this fallen world of Satan, verse number five. And then he lists those. And again, I'm gonna rattle through these. You might wanna look at each one individually on your own. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. Why? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourself once walked, E.D. past tense, when you lived, E.D. past tense, in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these things, and he lists more, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, which there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So any more? Yeah, therefore again, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But more, but above all these, put on love, that's agapeo, which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace into your heart to the Lord, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the Christian life. We do some and not all. And when dark times come, and they're coming, they're really here. Every day it seems to get worse. Do you have the faith to persevere and thrive? Last one. We looked at three. Number four. Be ready for the shout. 
Be ready for the shouts. Now, this shout's probably not going to happen today, more the next day. You know, things are, as I share with you, are probably going to get increasingly worse before the rapture takes place because it's got to get so bad that very soon after the rapture, the entire world throws its allegiance to a man. And if the man is from Western Europe, which some believe, the Muslims have to accept that man. If the man is from Eastern Europe and is a Muslim, then the non-Muslims have to accept that. I mean, it's got to be cataclysmic for that to happen. But there is a promise and here's the promise. For we say to you by the word of the Lord, this is God speaking, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Theology. Then we, we, assuming this happens in our lifetime, who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always, forever and ever and ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's not going to last forever. I heard a preacher say one time that his favorite phrase in the Bible was, and it came to pass. It did not say it came to stay. Jesus is coming. If we keep these perspectives in our mind and focus on trying to achieve a deeper intimacy with the Lord and preparing our faith for the test of our faith that is going to come, then it should bolster our confidence and our security and our assurance and our faith in Christ, which is the entire point of me talking about being a faith prepper. So, question. How do you spiritually prepare for, and you fill in the blank? Could be the antichrist. It could be an illness, impending death, death of a loved one, relationships that go south and sour, whatever. How do you prepare for this? I, um, I don't do many things well. I'm, I'm not a big athlete. Um, even in my prime, I really never really had a prime. Um, it's, just, it's just not the way I was made. I was not an incredibly good student because I realized that I could, I could do really well by not putting any effort in, so I didn't put any effort in and just did what I wanted to do. Um, I don't have a gift for making a lot of money, um, therefore I'm not super rich. There's just a lot of things that I don't do. There are a few things that I do do well, and I thank the Lord for those every day. I can study God's Word, um, and when I study God's Word, I can get something out of it every time I study it. I have learned how to hear His voice. I've learned how to listen to His direction. I don't always obey that direction, Sometimes I argue with God about that. Sometimes he lets me go out and bust my head against the wall and come back and go, okay, I don't want to do that again. But I've learned how to do that. I've, uh, I've learned how to, to the best of my ability, communicate God's word. And I try to do complex things in easy to digest segments because that's how I see them. That's why, you know, we have PowerPoints and stuff of that nature or handouts. You remember all that? You know, the handout. Those things I do well. And my calling in life is to 
help you get better in the areas that I do well, because in the areas I don't do well, such as athletics or something of that nature, I can't really help you. I can tell you and help you from what I've learned through experience and just study and all that kind of stuff, how to become a faith prepper. I've been trying to do that. But the one thing I can't give you is desire. I can't do it. That has to come from you. Deep down desire for something different. A faith prepper is someone who learns how to live his life on fire for Jesus. I mean, it's not afraid to tell people the way it is and not afraid to, to sever a relationship. I have had, I have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of counseling sessions. And usually in those counseling sessions, I tell people really hard truth. And I can't really remember anybody getting up, slapping me and storming out of the office. They receive it because I'm telling them the truth, not in a condemning, judgmental way where I'm better than you are, because usually what I'm sharing with somebody is to keep them from busting their face open on the concrete like I did when I was younger. Faith Prepper learns how to lead their family in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Doesn't mean your kids are always gonna follow him, but you can lead, learn, to learn how to do that. That's why we had the men's class for so long, learning how to, to be leaders. And you know, we can talk about that at another time, but I can't make you wanna do this. I can't force you to take the time to sit your kids down or, or to, to have a spiritual life that when your kids wake up on Saturday morning and they walk into the kitchen, they see you. You praying with your Bible open for them. I, that makes an in, incredible, indelible impression on a child. I can't do that for you. I can show you how. I can tell you what the scripture says, but a faith prepper is somebody who does that because it's important to my children's children's children. You can read God's word or you can understand God's word. You can learn how to share his word with others, which comes unnatural to most of us. To a faith prepper, someone who matures in his faith. The desire of a father should not be that my son goes, makes a lot of money. That, that just passes away. It shows that the father's values are skewed. And I, I fell into this myself. Does the the desire of a father for his son, that he becomes a spiritual leader among men, that he learns the indelible truth that it doesn't matter what country you live in, what dispensation of time you live in, what governmental system you're under, if you possess the wisdom of God, people will always come to you for that. Most important thing we can do to our daughters is teach them what a godly man is like so when they get married, they'll marry godly men. It is, it is time. It's time for all of us. Well, I've already blown it with my kids. You have grandkids and you haven't blown it with your kids. The relationship has just changed. It's no longer you, the father, and then the young child. It's now you, the father, and then the young adult, the father of their own family. It hasn't changed, or the, the responsibility hasn't changed. The relationship has. You just have to go about it different. The most contagious thing on the planet 
is a man or a woman sold out to Jesus Christ. I can't tell you, um, and she's going to get upset when I tell you this, I can't tell you how unbelievably attractive my wife is when I walk into the kitchen and she hasn't brushed her teeth and she's still wearing her, yes, whatever the thing is you wear when you go to bed at night, sweatsuit thing, you still wears the sweatsuit and her hair is all frazzled and she's sitting down with her Bible praying. And I walk into the kitchen, I see this woman that God has given me, and she's not doing it for me. And I see that, ah, man. I mean, nothing else matters but that. Do your kids see that in you? Does your spouse see that in you? Do your grandkids see that in you? We're running out of time. To be a faith prepper, all it takes is a desire. And we'll show you, we'll teach you, we'll help you not make the mistakes that we made. I'm sure Vic would agree with me. When you reach a certain age in Mo 2, when you reach a certain age, you look back over your life and you go, you know what? I started out well and I had really good intentions for my family and my kids and my life and all that kind of stuff. But there's some things I did well and there's some things I wish I could do over again. And what we, would you agree? And what we do is we don't want our children and grandchildren to make the same mistakes we made. So therefore, we have to be different today. So whatever the Lord sends our way, you and I have an opportunity right now to put him as the king he is in our life and trust him explicitly. And like the higher Christian life talks about, surrender everything to him and watch him do things that we can't even imagine. Amen? Let me pray.